Auzubillahiminashaitanirrajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed In the name of Allah the gracious, the merciful Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Peace be upon you all and welcome to today's Drive Time Show with myself Saad Ahmed And my co-presenter for, t- for today is Zakaria Sheikh And today the topics in discussions are very important, very um um, knowledge um, knowledge gaining um, topics first in the first hour we, we, we will be speaking about eating disorders a silent killer likewise in the second hour we will speak about dangerous pets should owners be responsible for their pets behavior with that we are also asking a question on our Instagram page what animals shouldn't be kept as pets rats snakes, spiders, dogs. So type away or click away your answers on our Instagram page which which is Voice of Islam UK. Likewise you can tweet us sorry um, use X um, it always comes up the career as Twitter <laughs> so um, you can always go on X and uh, Voice of Islam UK and always call us on 0208 687 7878 but all before that Aslam Alaikum Zakaria how are you? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and everyone, um, especially for the listener. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. How are you? Zakla, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, so far, so good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Zakaria, the question um, for the first hour eating disorders, and it's, it's a very, very you know, sensitive, very important topic <coughs> because sometimes we do not know. What's what is an eating disorder? We'll come into we'll develop upon it even more as we um, progress over the sh- in, in the show. But you know, although as we are recovering um, from the um, we have um, we have recovered from pandemic from the COVID nineteen, and we have seen a witnessed and witnessed a surge in um, eating disorders. You know, with ho- with, ho- with with hospital admissions for an- anorexia nervosa nearly tripling um, compared to you know if you look at the monthly average pre-pandemic. Yeah. Mm. And you know, today while much of our routine life has become you know very returned to normal and. Mm-hmm. Families and communities are joining and uh, coming together again, and that's we are still, you know, navigating through other challenges of the increase um, through a variety of support and treatments. For example, you know, an estimate of 1.25 million people in the UK suffer from eating disorders, and with up to about 25 percent of people with this um, with eating disorders are male, and eating disorders can um, affect. Um, anyone from BA, any age, race, gender, or background. You know, likewise, you know, research um, suggests that eating disorders have the highest mor- mor- mortality rates among psychiatric disorders. You know, that's why um, this week um, is the Eating Disorder Awareness mm-hmm. Week, a campaign um, which will run throughout this week to you know uh, make people. Um, understand know about what is eating disorder and in this show and in voice of islam today we will be discussing what is eating disorders and what are the effects and what are the treatments likewise we'll also dwell upon healthy eating what is healthy eating what does islam say about healthy eating also just a small segment in 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 this um, today's topic you know especially eating disorders can have an impact on your 
psychological and mental um, well-being. You know, it's, that's why Islam emphasizes the importance of healthy eating and the effect um, that it has on our phys- physical and spiritual health. You know, the promised Messiah, the awaited Mahdi, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, upon whom be peace, um, the founder of, of the Ahmadi Muslim community has said in his book, The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, uh, the philosophy and the teachings of Islam that you know it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual states so much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual states that is why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and the physical moderation for prayers inner cleanliness and devotions after careful consideration one concludes that this is the truth, philosophy and the physical organs have great effect on the soul. And that's mentioned on page um, 18 to 19. So, Zakaria, what is eating disorder? <laughs> I mean, uh, this eating disorder is not really familiar to everyone. I mean, when uh, we hear of eating disorder, we often think that um, you know, someone is either eating too much or someone can't eat uh, or eating too less, right? Because they don't have the appetite. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone has, you know, the disorder of eating too much. Uh, but it it's not really what we think, right? Uh, because eating disorder is something that could, uh, that could be very, very dangerous, right? Uh, it could also lead to malnutrition and uh, essentially, it could lead us to death as well. Now, if you look at the definition of eating disorder, um, eating disorder are mental health conditions characterized by abnormal eating behaviors and attitudes towards food. They often involve distorted perceptions of body weight, shape, and food. And research suggests that there is a link between increased use of visual uh, social media platforms such as Instagram, TikTok and other sorts of things which um, uh, deteriorates, uh, which is a uh, deterioration in children and young people's mental health. So, you know, maybe this is also something which is linked with, you know, you you started with uh, COVID-19. So we thought like, how is COVID-19... Uh, related to eating disorder but I think more and more people went into social media during this time pandemic time pandemic time you've brought up social media and you know when someone's scrolling through different feeds you you automatically think okay okay this is how I should look like Mm -hmm. and then you you have that perception you might oh I don't look like that Mm -hmm. and this this eats you from inside then and that's why we have to be you know um, s- strong say and say that yes I have to um, understand what is happening to me that's why you know we have our guests coming on with us today mm-hmm. to explain us what is um, a eating disorder and you know professionals um, um, about the guidance which is needed um, mm. about eating disorder you know the the biggest step is asking for help yeah, exactly. I always say all the listeners, if someone is facing, for example, any kind of issue in regards of eating, mm-hmm. they might not know about it, that they might have an eating disorder, yeah. right? The best is to go 
ex- speak to a professional, go to your GP, mm. make an appointment, go to your GP, ask them, and they can guide you and you know and put you towards the right path. Yeah, I mean, even before that, I think it's important to identify if yes. you have eating disorder or not. Yes. So, uh, and not everyone understands that. Correct. Uh, this is why, um, and it's 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 a blessing, and it's also a great thing to have this um, awareness week. Correct. And obviously, um, we're grateful to be able to speak about this topic. Otherwise, not everyone would know about it. Everyone would just think, okay, this is just a, you know, like I, like 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 you said or I said before uh, that we would just simply think that either I'm addicted to eating or not addicted to eating or, not addicted to eating or uh, uh, on the other side, actually, I don't like eating, right? Yes. But there are a lot of things which are linked with this this order, and it could really affect your health as well. Of course, well. you know, Zakaria, you know, as you mentioned, the awareness week of eating disorder, mm-hmm. it's really important for this education to be out. There, how many households are there who speak about mm. it and you know, actively? Yeah. What is eating disorder? How many um, parents sit down the pa- um, the the children and tell them about what is eating disorder? These yeah. are the symptoms you have to look out for. This is what you have to make yep. sure you are doing. And just to have this campaign running, just to um, have some awareness out there. Yes, this is really good. So at least it's being talked about. Yeah. So people do know about it. The, the education comes out from yeah. you know from these awareness campaigns or you know through just talking about it. So they can identify if they have it themselves or, yes. so, or maybe their friends or family members, if they have it, then they could you know, tell them, look, I think you have this problem. You need to, you know, check it out. Uh, maybe you could, you know, treat it. Um, but Islam is also something you mentioned, you touched upon uh, on on a topic um, in the philosophy of the, of the teachings of Islam. The Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, also explains the um, this, the the physical health that uh, that it has a connection with the spiritual health Correct. as well, and it goes hand hand in hand, right? So, in the same book that you mentioned, it's a remarkable book. We suggest for the listeners, for you to listen, uh, for for you to read this book, Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. It's available online on alislam.org um, and you can download it for free so and also you're always welcome to visit uh, the biggest mosque in uh, in in Europe um Betul Futuh mosque and you can also buy a hard copy here but then um what the promised messiah uh the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community stated in in his book is that it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual states. So much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual states. That is why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation for prayers, inner cleanliness and devotions. After careful consideration, one concludes that this is a true philosophy and that physical organs have great effect on the soul. And it's so true. I mean, um, I I have experienced that. Maybe you have. uh, But when I overeat or eat something unhealthy, I feel unfit as well. Especially when it comes to prayers, 
I cannot do, I cannot prostrate, as in I can prostrate, but I feel uncomfortable, uh, in, unease yes. in that position. But when I haven't filled up my stomach, yes. you know, full, 110% or even 100%, right? I feel like, okay, I have space. I can breathe. I can work, um, you know, with efficiency. I can pray with uh, you know with concentration right of this is this is something which is truly um the promise Messiah, what he said is really really true yes. now he then further on in the same book um uh, goes to comment on the importance of diets and sleeping habits on one spiritual health and he states that so far as our eating drinking sleeping and awaking are concerned they are essential physical act- actions and they affect our spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. Our physical cure is manifestly related to our humanity. The relationship of body and soul is such that one cannot explain it easily. Careful observation shows that the body is the mother of the soul. Such a beautiful, um, you know, of course. sentence. You know, the body is the mother of the soul. Yes, you know, just before we carry on, just a small correction I want to make for our listeners. We mentioned that, you know, uh, the biggest mosque in Europe, it's the biggest mosque in Western Europe. Oh, Western Europe, <laughs> yes. okay, yes. That's, that's a yes. small addition. There are, there, are, there are other mosques as well. Yes, uh, which are, that's a small addition. Uh, yeah, okay, thank sure you very much. That, that is out there. For the, but yeah, uh, you know, whoever is listening, I think the closest and the biggest mosque will be this mosque. So yes. you're always welcome. Um, you know, uh, you can be introduced to the mosque and you'll always be... Uh, you know, you're always welcome, and we can give you a guide, give you a tour of the mosque. Yes. And obviously, as as the new expansion has been done to this very mosque, mm-hmm. and everyone is welcome to um, have a tour. Just give us a call, and then we can arrange something. Mm-hmm. So back to the topic again. Yeah. So eating disorders, and the, the, obviously there are different types of eating disorders. There are many different types, and you know, let's let's talk about um, about some. Which are familiar to us, for example, you know, anorexia nervosa. Mm-hmm. You know, people with this condition or is with anorexia nervosa, you know, greatly restrict food and calories sometimes to the point of self-starvation. So they're not mm-hmm. having enough intake, which is required on a daily basis. You know, you can have anorexia at any body size. Mm-hmm. It is ca- characterized by an obsessive desire to lose weight and a refusal to eat healthy amounts of food for your body type and activity levels. You know, this is quite quite um, in, uh, um, and, um, nerve-wracking, you know, um, being not, be not being able to eat the amount you are required. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we, we, when someone has this or is going through this, yep. it's always best to go to a GP and, and work out what to do as a next step. Yeah, you mentioned could be from any body size and yes. I had actually friends who had anorexia and uh, and and it's actually true I had a friend that was extremely uh, thin and he had anorexia he could not eat uh, and I also had a friend who was um, not skinny at all um, yes. he had uh, he had some fat in, on his body so if you look at if you would look at him, you would not think that he would he ha- actually has anorexia, but he actually had this problem. So, you know, it depends body to body, but this problem could you know be with with anyone and and everyone. 
So um, thank you for the explanation. Of course. And uh, are there any other types? Yes, for example, there's for example binge eating disorder or bed. Um, people have a binge eating disorder experience, you know, compulsory eating um, behaviors. They eat or perceive that they have eaten large amounts of food in a short period of time. However, after binging, they don't um, um, purge food or burn off that that calorie um, calories which they have intake and with exercise. Mm-hmm. Instead, they feel uncomfortable, full, and may struggle with the um, regret, guilt, or depression. Mm. Then we're obviously many that's the opposite basically that's the opposite of it and yeah. then you have you know avoidant restrictive food intake disorder it's a very it's a very big name um, or this, um, it has been um, simplified as RFID right and that is characterized by the person um, avoiding certain foods or types of food having restricted intakes in terms of um, overall amount um, eating or both this could be due to sensitivity to the taste, smell, or texture of a food, and may be dis- um, dismissed as picky eating. Mm-hmm. Now that term, instead of you know, avoiding restrictive food intake disorder, yeah. we might not have heard about it. But picky yeah. eater or picky eating, we have heard this term many times. Yeah. Right. But and to take this conversation further in in regards to this very um, um different issues um, um about eating disorder, we have with us um. Claire Reynolds, a director of uh, of organization Beat Eating Disorders. Um, with that short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the show. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you, Claire? Hello, thank you. Um, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, we have um, slightly touched upon um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, but I wanted to ask you um, in this regard, uh, what is um, AFRID or um, also, ARFID is an eating disorder which is not um, commonly talked about. Can you explain the specifics um, or the specific challenges um, that someone faces um, in comparison to other eating disorders? Yes, um, so ARFID is a relatively new diagnosis within eating disorders and as you said, it's really not very well known about and often confused with being picky eaters. Um, It it can present itself in so many different ways, but it has a a really traumatic impact on both the people who are suffering lives, but also their loved ones, their friends and family Mm -hmm. as well. They can't go out for meals, they they really struggle to go away. because they need to have access to their safe foods that, that they know that are safe for them to eat. Yes, and you know, um, what are some of the signs that one has to, uh, can look out for um, uh, who are suffering from um, 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 this disorder? And obviously, um, they, they, they might not just be uh, picky eaters. Yeah, so it's very complicated. All eating disorders are complex mental health issues, but ARFID in particular can present itself in so many different ways depending on the age of the individual and and their particular um, mental health condition. But the overriding factor is that the person who is affected will avoid certain foods or types of food. They could um, avoid a whole food group entirely. Uh, It could be based on texture or taste. But the, the sort of difference between being a picky eater and having ARFID is that somebody with ARFID would rather starve than eat one of these foods that they consider to be unsafe. Well, that, uh, that's that's quite interesting um, about you know who who might have um, ARFID. They just don't eat. They might starve, but they won't eat any kind of food which is linked to this. So you know, what are some strategies? Um, 
which can help um, these individuals who are suffering from this are there any different compared um, are there any are they different compared to any strategies um, used for any other other kinds of eating disorders so there are some differences uh, as we said off it is still relatively unknown and we need to build more services to help people mm-hmm. but I think the main thing for somebody who is suffering or if you think somebody around you is suffering is to reach out and get help uh, it's not to brush it under the carpet it's to try and resolve things and get some help mm-hmm. generally treatments would be as you'd expect things like talking therapy potentially exposure therapy and sometimes some speech and language therapy particularly with younger sufferers um, physical health would need to be managed and monitored alongside and quite often nutritional support would be given. Uh, I don't think you've touched on the fact already that quite often ARFID sufferers are people who also suffer with other conditions mm-hmm. and they have things like ADHD or autism so that complicates things so it's really important that we look at the individual as a whole and, and help them. Mm-hmm. I mean um, we were just discussing before uh, we had you on that obviously family members could also help um, mm. to support, uh, to recover, or uh, if an individual has uh, some sort of eating disorder. So what would your advice be to anyone, family, friends, who have seen or who know someone with uh, any sort of eating disorders? How can they help? It's really opening up the conversation. It's getting the individual to face the fact that they, they do need some help. Um, I would advise anybody who thinks somebody around them is suffering to go to Beat's website. We've got some really clear, detailed guides about how to have that conversation, when's mm. the best time to have it, and how you can actually help somebody to treat, uh, to seek medical treatment to help them with their recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, at Beat as well, uh, very proud to say that we offer support services both for sufferers but also for the carers themselves we offer support services through um, training courses and there's lots of resources on our website so if you are worried about somebody please as a first step have a look at the website we have a a helpline which is again open to somebody who's suffering but also somebody who is concerned about another person so they can call that and and just ask some questions and find out a bit more so what is your website for the benefit of the listener beateatingdisorders.org.uk but okay. if you type beat eating disorders into any search engine it should come up first. Okay, wonderful. Um, from my side, lastly, in what ways can we combat stigma uh, surrounding AFRID within the broader conversation on eating disorders? Yeah, I think you've, you've, you have touched on this already in, in understanding that it's not picky eating. Don't trivialise it. It is a really serious condition. Hmm. Um, encourage anybody around you to seek help. And I guess it's like most things, it's, it's about educating ourselves. Uh, we're campaigning to try and develop treatment pathways uh, for sufferers and to make sure that services are consistent across the country mm-hmm. uh, but I think it is that's what the uh, Eating Disorders Awareness Week is all around, about it is sort of opening up people's eyes to what is happening and, and educating ourselves Wonderful Thank you very much Claire for coming on and uh, answering our questions um, Thank you for having me Thank you very much So this was uh, Claire Reynolds a director of organisation Beat Eating Disorders yes. so anyone who wants to um, get yeah, in touch help. with them needs any sort of help uh, they can uh, go to the website beateatingdisorders.org.uk
that was the yes. website, isn't it? Okay, of yeah. course. You know, uh, speaking to her was really quite eye-opening. Also, you know, yeah. um, Alfred is quite not just dismissed as picky eaters, but they might not eat anything, and they they yeah. will starve themselves yeah. and not eat not eat what is front what is in front of them because they yeah. don't like it. They rather. Um, eat something as in rather starve themselves yes. than eat I mean it's pretty much not exactly the same as uh, um, anorexia nervosa but uh, it, it, again you know they don't they simply don't want to eat anything okay they don't have the appetite they when it's time to eat a normal human being would uh, let's say eat after every two or three hours yes. they just don't want to eat right so imagine you're not hungry and you've been told that look this is the time you need to eat <laughs> otherwise yes. you know you'll get sick um but then uh with the afrid uh, avoid and restrict uh, restrictive food intake disorder this um uh it's very difficult that that means wherever they go they must have the foods they like yeah. and um, you know they, they need to take those food with them in order to <laughs> survive otherwise like you said you know they would rather starve to death uh than eat eating what they don't like you know it, that's why you know um, i'll say over and over again if someone has any kind of issue or any difficulty and yep. they recognize it also mm-hmm. speak to your gp um, yep. and find out a plan for themselves mm-hmm. how to go forward from there yeah. obviously there are many other symptoms um or overeating or undereating there are many different categories of that but obviously due to um combining everything into one hour it will still cut this out yeah. and you know go towards in the islamic point of view here islam teaches us that you know should eat foods in moderations that the holy quran has stated oh um children of adam look at your adornment at every time and place of worship and eat and drink but exceed not um the bounds surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds chapter 7 verse 32 you know meaning that you should still eat everything just in moderations mm-hmm. and and there is also a narration by the uh, beloved prophet of our uh, of, of ours the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessings be upon him you know he's, he has mentioned this many times you know, yeah, eat one third drink one third and leave one third for the yeah. air so eat in moderations don't overfill yourselves don't underfill yourselves have so much that you you are able to survive yeah. you are able to go ahead with your life mm. also we'll come also towards um, what is healthy eating more and the islamic point of view of healthy eating yeah. but before that i wanna um sp- i had I had a conversation with Jennifer Lowe who is a diet- registered dietitian and you know specializes in, in eating disorders and it was a, it was a pleasure um speaking to her and the um the way um the conversation went i would like our listeners to listen to it and understand what jennifer had to say here is a clip azbillahi minash-shaitanir rajeem bismillahirrahmanirrahim i seek refuge with allah from satan the accursed in the name of allah the gracious the merciful today we have with us jennifer low she is a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorder assalamu alaikum peace be upon you how are you jennifer today Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, um this topic eating disorder is you know very very um important to discuss and especially when we have a profession like yourself with us today on the Voice of Islam show. So I wanted to ask you as a dietitian, how do you recognize that someone may have an eating disorder? 
Um, so as a dietitian, obviously, the people that I get referred to me quite often already know that they've got an eating disorder. But um, I thought it might be useful to go through um, some of the points that we might look for in somebody so that the listeners, um, who, people who are listening to the show today, if they're worried about a friend or a family member, there are a few things that they could watch out for in that person. Um so that includes things like um, if people are all of a sudden skipping meals or you find packets hidden in their room or food disappearing from cupboards, that can be a sign of binge eating um, or potentially they're spending lots of food, um, lots of money on food, but you don't actually see them eat. Mm -hmm. Um, or they might be drinking lots of diet fizzy drinks or coffee all of a sudden in an attempt to fill themselves up potentially going to the bathroom straight away after they're eating so that shows that they might be trying to um, vomit after their food um, and also quite often people will avoid social situations where they have to eat as well so if somebody's gone from being quite um, outgoing and wanting to be out and then suddenly they don't really want to join in on any of those social occasions that involves food then that might be a reason to start to think oh I wonder what's going on here. So Jennifer I'm um, just in the question I wanted to add here is there a particular reason that someone might be um, going into an eating disorder or it, it just happens? There are so many different reasons so they don't know the exact cause because if we knew the exact cause we could we could fix people much more easily. But there's lots of different factors so there's partially genetic factors involved um, mm -hmm. But also it's the um, environment that we live in. So, you know, we are unfortunately in a culture and a society that values thinness above lots of other things. You know, they, people do value thinness very highly in our society. And that really puts a lot of pressure on people. And quite often people who I see with an eating disorder will tell me that they just went on a diet, you know, to lose half a stone and it just spiraled out from there so it can be as simple as that or it can come from quite a traumatic kind of background and it comes as a way of being able to numb people's feelings so if they've had a trauma and they haven't been able to deal with that then the eating disorder comes as a way of sort of trying to protect the person from from those feelings if that makes sense yes thank you so much and jennifer is there a way of approaching a or creating a nutritious plan for such individuals who have different types of eating disorders yeah so for every single client that i see i wouldn't say there's a specific kind of thing that we go through with everybody um, because everyone's really different and everyone's at a different stage of recovery from their eating disorder mm -hmm. and also each of the different eating disorders is quite different in terms of how they present and also the evidence base that is there for, for treatment purposes. However, as a kind of overall, I work with the individual to sort of fight against that eating disorder voice. So anyone who's listening who has had an eating disorder or has had experience of this will know what that voice is. But for anyone who doesn't have a history of an eating disorder, um, people describe having this extra voice in their head that's sort of telling them that they shouldn't be having the food or that they've eaten too much or they need to go and burn that food off or they've eaten the wrong thing or they should be losing more weight 
or compensating for eating in some way. So it's basically this sort of constant internal critical voice telling the person that they're not good enough. So, um, so this is, you know, obviously really hard for the person kind of living through this. So um, in your experience, what are the common um, nutritional challenges faced by, you know, individuals or certain people in recovering from an eating disorder? And how do you help them overcome those you know, difficult phase they're going through? Yeah, so um, things that are often present is that fear of fatness. So again, you know, coming from society that values the thinness, um, low energy intake or low energy availability. So they might be looking to be eating enough, but maybe they're exercising so much that actually they don't, they're not getting enough energy for their body. And that's something called relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, mm -hmm. So that low energy intake generally can lead to emotional and physical issues in the body, as well as changes in the flexibility of the brain and how we can think. Um, and people also might be using laxatives, diuretics, diet pills or vomiting to try and manage their body weight, um, which causes lots of issues with electrolytes in the body. So the potassium levels, phosphate levels and magnesium in your blood. Um, and also, by the way, it doesn't actually end up controlling body weight. It looks to because it makes a difference to the amount of fluid in people's bodies um, and the scales go up and down accordingly, but it doesn't actually contribute to losing body fat. Um, and then people are over-exercising and they might have low levels of some of the micronutrients as well. So things like iron, B12, folate, but sometimes bloods will kind of blood tests won't necessarily show up those micronutrient mm. deficiencies until it's sort of got quite bad. So, um, so all of those challenges, all of those um, kind of things that people go through lead to nutritional, physical and emotional problems and they're different for every single person so just bearing in mind that even if you don't have the ones I've just listed it doesn't mean that you don't you don't deserve or need the help of course and you know especially when we speak about uh, mental health and um, the um, aspect of mental health, of um, eating disorder um how do you um, you strategize in uh, and inform them in regards to their nutritional um, interventions? Yeah, so uh, just giving people information often isn't enough because, mm -hmm. you know, people can read lots and lots of things, but it doesn't mean they can actually change their behaviour. So while some of my work's obviously about the educational nutrition and the physical and emotional consequences of the things that I've just listed, a lot of it's about really helping people overcome those barriers to change their behaviours. So people um like me who have gone into more mental health dietetics we use a mixture of behavior change models that come originally from psychology um so things like motivational interviewing cbte acceptance commitment therapy will use those sorts of tools and methods from in those therapies to be able to help that person to start to change a key to all of this is working at a pace that feels safe enough for the person. You can't go in there and go, okay, well, you're eating nothing today. Tomorrow you've got to be eating normally and be recovered. You know, it takes a long time and we need to get to that place where they feel challenged enough to create the space to be able to change, but also not so scared that they completely shut down and go backwards. Of course. Um 
you know, before I let you go today, for Jennifer, first of all, thank you for joining us. Do you have a message for the people um, who are suffering from any kind, um, for, from an eating disorder, and may be struggling to seek any advice or any help from anyone around them? Yeah, I think the thing is, it's remembering that actually the likelihood is do something about this on your own you're going to need to ask for help and support and whether that's family and friends which is often quite they're quite difficult people to ask sometimes so maybe approaching your gp or another healthcare professional um, there are eating disorder services that are provided by the nhs they can't take on everybody but um, your GP can certainly refer you to them. There are a number of us who work in private practice who can see people, but there's also online information. So if you just need a little bit more awareness, there's um, the site, the Butterfly Foundation and a CCI website as well, which I can give links for, and maybe we could give those out to the listeners as well um, after the show, perhaps, because all of those have really helpful psychoeducation for people who are worried either about themselves or about somebody else that they love. Um, I've also got on my website a free um, download to kind of what normal eating looks like, which um, because I find that lots of people when they're in a situation, they don't really know what normal is. So they think that they're eating enough for them, but they're actually not. Um, so people can just hop onto my website and download that for free um, or onto my Instagram page as well. And also, Jennifer, just before I let you go again, sorry, um, <laughs> is there a, a platform where a person can go anonymously and just if just they don't want to show their name or the date of birth, just to be honest, uh, just to find out what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. So Beat have a um, phone service, so you phone up and, and they, they've got a helpline on there, which um, might be a good start to be able to start to talk to somebody and they would then be able to give you more information about how to do the next steps as well perfect thank you so much Jen, for, for joining us today and thank you so much for taking time out thank you so much for having me thank you so much so this was a um, talk with jennifer lowe a registered dietitian and specializes in eating disorder and you know the just uh, pondering over what she said and um to me at that time when we were speaking about it that you know if one thing always sticks out to me Zakaria, is that you know she said you know there's a voice inside of you which says oh do the um you should yeah, you should eat more even if you've eaten you should eat more or you haven't eaten anything and there's a voice inside you oh i need to burn that f- um i need to burn whatever i've eaten just now yeah so that voice inside you is telling something to do yeah so if you feel that you have something in you in your inside that is telling you even if you haven't done it yet mm-hmm. and it's always ask you know for for help be around you for, for to a professional yeah. and then you know sometimes you're confused if the voice is telling you the right thing or not yes i mean uh like you said uh, if if the voice telling you that you should eat more more you don't you didn't have enough <laughs> you know, if it's even if even if it's right or wrong right it's always good you know to speak with someone who you trust yeah. then need to be a professional it could yeah. be someone around you your colleague your friend mm. your brother your sister your parents and it might be someone you um you think he, uh, they would understand yeah. what is happening to you or they have gone through this you know that's why you have these um, um different um 
um, organizations to help you, for yeah. example, uh, um, beat be eating disorder, and they 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 are an organization to help you and guide you through these um, difficult phases mm-hmm. if someone's going through at the moment. Yeah. Obviously, coming back um, to um, about uh, us controlling our foods, Allah has. Um, not only taught us about controlling it, but also about the consumptions of food. And you know, he has also further instructed us. So Allah Dimad has even f- instructed us about eating healthy foods. For example, you know, um, Allah Dimad has stated in chapter two, verse one sixty nine, and he said, "O ye men, eat of what is lawful and good in the earth, and follow not the footsteps of Satan. Surely, he is to you an open enemy." I think. Uh the voice that you were talking about, which leads you to overeating or undereating, is the voice of Satan. Could be. Yeah. Yes, um, it could be, obviously. Mm. But obviously, um, furthermore, in regards to moderation, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, has mentioned, I, I paraphrased before, but obviously, I want to mention it um, in, in the proper way. The, the son of Adam does not fill any vessel worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for the son of Adam to eat a few morsels to keep him alive. He, if he must fill, fill it, then one third for his food, one third for his drink, and one third for his air. Right, and that's mentioned in Tirmidhi, a, a book of um, where um, the narrations, narrations of the Prophet Sallallahu peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, are collected. So this was the actual um, saying which I paraphrased beforehand. Such a beautiful. Um, saying of the Holy Prophet. But then I think uh, Japanese people, I believe Jap- Japan or um, in China somewhere, they ha- also believe in the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a um, concept called Ikigai, where they also balance what they eat. And they also have pretty much <clears throat> the same thing. And truly, if you don't fill your stomach up to the brim and you eat one third, lead leave one third for air you'll see you'll you will never ever regret i mean of course unless if you eat unhealthy food obviously but this is uh, you know you elaborated with a verse of the holy quran as well that eat what is good for you mm-hmm. in the earth right yes. anything which is good is lawful for you eat that avoid those things which can you know uh, be harmful for you mm-hmm. even if you eat um one third of your stomach but you're eating unhealthy foods, right? You think that, okay, I'm not filling myself up. I'm only eating a little bit, so it's fine. No, anything bad, a little of it is bad, right? And the Holy right. Prophet uh, himself in one occasion actually said that, uh, you know, this might be not intoxication, but intoxication in the Holy Prophet said, anything little that you take, which will lead you to an addiction in future, Right, it's in my own words, yes. um, is harmful for you. You should avoid that. And so that that's that counts with the fast food as well, right? Of course, you know, Zakir, if you even take it further about process, you've mentioned mm-hmm. how can someone process the food they're eating, for example, right? Yeah. And in regards, you know, when you just open um, the chapter of Islam, right, and the um, understanding what Islam has been telling us. Fourteen hundred years ago, a man told us, yeah. right, a, about how we should live, and just about, for example, eating food or the consumption of food. The yeah. Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has mentioned this. You know, said you, he, he that you should eat slowly. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, this is quite interesting. The mm-hmm. Prophet uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said this, eat slowly. You know, eating slowly is, you know, recommended for health. Um, slow eating redu- reduces the consumption of food. Uh, as it postpones much of the meal to a time when the absorption of nutrients begin to produce psychological signals of anxiety, right? Slow eating helps in chewing the food well. This results in the exercise of the jaws and mixing of the saliva with food. Hence, efficient digestion takes place because the food um, particles are cut into smaller pieces, not requiring as much churning in the stomach or intestines. So mm. eating slow, how slow do we need to eat? You know, um, and in the Rasa, you know, the, the Prophet Messiah, upon whom be peace, mentioned, you know, he used to um, bite, when, when he took a bite of a food, he used yep. to churn in his uh, in his jaw for um, about 20, 30 times. 30 times, yeah. Roughly, yes. And that is what science also tells us, yes. that you know you should bite for 30, 32 times. Of course. And I mean, it's a, it's a it's a new point that you mentioned. I I didn't know uh, that the promise was I actually used to do that. Uh, but yeah, it, so that it, is it the helps you. Um, you basically um, um, whenever when the food is um, eaten and you chew it um, over over mm. again, your stomach hasn't doesn't have to work that much. Yeah. to make it break down the particles mm-hmm. into smaller smaller sections. Yeah, so there's already been broken down. So it, it it helps you to digest quicker as well. Yes. Because the food, the longer the food stays in your stomach, it you allow the food to rot as well, and this is how you get all sorts of diseases as well. So yeah, um, again, this is a very gold as a golden point, uh, golden advice for those who ha- have difficulty with eating, overeating. Actually, yes. that, you know, take your time. You know, of when course. you eat, take your time. Uh, even if you eat a, le- a very very little, take your time. You know, a chew for thirty, thirty-two times. Well, everyone has a different um, size of appetite, right? Mm. For example, my appetite might be different to yours, yeah. and yours might be different to mine. And I always say, because I I love food, right? I I, t- I take I enjoy, <laughs> enjoy enjoyment. Who doesn't eating. love? <laughs> so whenever except I'm, from uh, <laughs> you know this the the people with disorders, yes, <laughs> some 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 disorders, um, yeah. So I what I what I try is always you know is to enjoy the food or whatever I'm eating. Yeah. I understand what it is, right? Yeah. So because I cook sometimes myself also. Oh wow! So I <laughs> such I, a <laughs> good <laughs> husband. <laughs> and our father is. <laughs> of course, yeah. That, that's that's a new chapter in my life at the yeah. moment. So I try, you know, to cook, but sometimes to you know enjoy the understanding of of going to buy that stuff, yeah. making sure what I've I've bought is is what I'm gonna cook. Yeah, and that. That puts um, more effort, you know, into all oh, the love yeah. into the cooking. It, the, the food actually tastes much better when you cook it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, than uh, when it's uh, cooked by someone else, because yeah. um, obviously you put the effort, effort. Uh, all the all the energy that you put in it, correct, and you you're you're double um, more happier. Uh, you feel proud that you've. You know, yeah. don't achieve something. So, as especially as 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 uh, as myself, because if I cook something, <laughs> obviously, you know, I I put a lot of effort in it. Okay, so because I don't get to cook that much, but I try time to time. Obviously, yeah, you know, sometimes they I do I mess up sometimes, but luckily my mother, my wife, they're always there to, to just 
help me out at that very point at okay. that point when I okay I don't oh, know wow. so what to do that's a new thing uh, <laughs> so your mother is around as well obviously yeah, although have, your mother is I have, around I have my help you still uh, cook which is a very good quality so so um, you know anyone who doesn't cook you should you know, you know it's, learn it's from a good ex- it's a good exercise and I would always say it's a good exercise to understand you know when oh. you cook you understand okay I'm not taking this for granted. Yeah. It it for example, if your wife is cooking, or your mother is cooking. Yeah. Right. They they spend time. They spend the effort in making that very mm-hmm. food, and we sometimes take it to granted. Unfortunately, that you know, oh, I don't like what what has been made today. Yeah. And you order out, and yeah. it it it's it. I don't know how they feel because I I like I have never asked um, my mother or my wife how do you feel uh, if this happens, right? I mean, as uh, as far as I know, when I compliment, uh, then they feel amazing. Oh yeah, th- that's, uh, that's <laughs> you should definitely compliment. That, yes, that's, that's one uh, thing. You know, this is something which which they really so deserve. It, it, At it, least that's the minimum you could do. That compliment indeed. if if you like the food or if if it's eatable, right? Yes. So you should. That's the thing I always say. You know, the efforts which go into cooking, that if you understand that. Then you um, appreciate the food which is being yeah. brought in front of you. One thing that uh, I was actually thinking earlier as well, but I was not able to, uh, you know, mention this point is that we're blessed. Those people who doesn't have a uh, disorder, um, eating disorder, we're blessed that we can really enjoy the food we have around us. Okay, and especially living in a, a first world country, you pretty much have access to any sort of food you can think of. In any food that you can think of, you have it somewhere in in London. But those people who have, you know, eating disorder, even though they wish to eat something, they might not enjoy that food, which is very worrying. Um, so obviously, you know, I pray and and I wish uh, that you know, obviously, anyone going through this difficulty that they overcome this difficulty, and that's why. This awareness is here, and this is why we are speaking about this topic. That look, if you have any issues, if you have any eating disorders, then you can always reach out for help. Of course, yeah. that's a, that's another. If you look at the symptoms, especially you know, you can mm. you might not be able to tell from someone's appearance that yeah. they might have a eating disorder, or you can have an dis, disorder um, eating disorder at any body weight or size. You know, eating um, disorders often impact the um, <clears throat> the people in such ways, you know, which relate to food or or around that area. So, which might not reflect on the weight and the sizes. You know, specific symptoms of eating disorder vary by type. It may be difficult um, to spot an eating disorder as uh, it often mimics dieting. Yeah. So that's also um, a a thing which you have to remember. You know, sometimes it looks like you okay. They might be dieting or something, or a person um, might be struggling with an eating disorder. May be reluctant to share their eating concerns. There's some general um, changes that tend to happen when someone and does not have. When someone has sorry a eating disorder, for example, they have mood swings. Mm-hmm. They might feel fatigue, f- um, fainting, or dizziness, thinning hair or hair loss. You know, frequent bathroom breaks after eating, unexplained weight changes, or drastic weight loss. 
um, unusual sweating or hot flushes. So okay. these are the couple of symptoms. You know, as general public, we should look out um, f- around for our fam- mm. f- uh, friends and family. If you see okay, someone's mood, someone suddenly changes, or they always feel tired. What happened to them? Or mm. you see the hairs are thinning, or they're losing them now. Yeah. And especially one thing we can look out for is if someone after eating. Um, is going to the bathroom over and over again. So you, you should you, sh- you can ask them because you you have that um, frankness with a friend or colleague or a um, family member that you take them. Don't ask them in open, in front of everyone. Take them to the side and ask them if how they're feeling, why they're always going up. You have become. Um, you have noticed that you know more and more t- um, after eating, you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Is there anything um, to worry about? Are you okay, or do you need any help? So yeah. that might open up a small conversation at, at that yeah. very point. I mean, I would like to the points that you mentioned. I want to, you know, uh, mention these points again because for myself as well, is because if I notice these problems in anyone around me, then I would like to help that person. And similarly, for you. Um, whenever you uh, notice that someone has these problems, mood swings, fatigueness, thinning of hair, frequently going to the bathroom, as you just mentioned as well, again, unexpected weight changes, you know, it could be weight loss or weight gain, or um, unusual sweating. These kind of um, symptoms are uh, symptoms and signs of someone who has a eating disorder. Of course, you know, hence, you know, the diagnosis or the treatment, it, it might not be um, obvious when someone has an eating disorder. Um, if you think that you may suffer from any kind of disorders, it is, it is always best to get it diagnosed. Yep. If you think you might have it, it's always better to check it out yep. than not get it checked out. It's, 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 there's a phrase called, um, Better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, just get it exactly. checked out. Just get a professional opinion mm. over it. If you think you might have something, yeah. not just eating disorder, any other um, 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 issues or any problems any, you might someone someone is facing you have in your life. Yes, you can always speak to a a, a professional, be yeah. it a, a um, um, your GP, or you can go online. There are many anonymous um, groups available. Yeah. You can um, ask them. They they can give you some advice. Okay. I remember the promise Messiah said, um, and this is in my own words, that negligence can lead you to death mm-hmm. or destruction. And he explained two different sorts of like negligence. One is when it comes to your body. So when you don't take care of your body, when you're just negligent in regards to your health, right? You'll see that you'll have diseases, you have problems, which will lead you to death or you know, uh, you know, illnesses. And similarly with spirituality as well, when you are negligent um, and you don't, re- not, don't really care, then you'll see that your spirituality level will also, you know, slowly, slowly fade away. So again, you should not be negligent. You should always and always, for the sake of your family members or friends at least, that when you identify any sort of problems, any sort of uh, yes. disorders, which is not on place, then you should definitely help them. Of course, you know, um, Zachary. I'm just looking at the time, and I'm very wary about it. Also, and there's so much, so much more to talk about in yeah. this very topic. It's it's a very important, a very sensitive topic at mm-hmm. the same time, and I'm um 
I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to, all the, to the professions we had with us for this very hour. You know, eating disorders is very hard um, to spot or, and often people do not realize they might be suffering from an eating disorder. You know, eating disorders are in fact a silent killer. They can cause death through a physical effects that they have on the body or through a psychological effects. Uh, if you are or think you might be struggling with eating disorder, it's always best to get or seek help immediately. And with this, you know, I would like to conclude and inshallah, I'll see you after the small break for the second topic of today's discussion. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome back to today's drive time show with myself um, Saad and brother Zakaria in the first hour we spoke about the issues in regards to eating disorders and in this hour we will be speaking about the dangerous um, of um, animals or per se about dogs especially and the question we are asking on our Instagram page at Voice of Islam UK what animals shouldn't be kept as pets so perhaps we can answer the question because I, th- yeah. I think uh, so, uh, maybe we can get uh, yeah. so the answers when when asked at the start um, for, for, for the questions so that I, I go startled. Sorry, <laughs> so the, sorry, I, so got the, you, yeah. I got you confused. Yeah, so, you did mention about the question, the question. and the options. And the options with it. So for, for the yeah. first one was rats, snakes, spiders, and dogs. So about twenty-eight percent of the members said rats, and forty-one said snakes. Seven percent spiders, and twenty-four percent, you know, said dogs. That's, that's surprising, actually. Yes, I would have. I, I might have thought, you know, I would have thought dogs would be the least because yeah. dogs are the I think most kept animals, uh, yeah, especially in the UK. Especially in the UK, yeah. So, um, it's twenty four percent who said um, a dog shouldn't be kept as dogs. Yeah. And obviously, we have with us um, um, our guests who we who we will be speaking about what um, can can be done in regards to this. Mm-hmm. So let's let's move towards um, the today's topic and why it was decided, you know, to speak about this topic today. You know, earlier um, this month, Esther Martin, you know, she um, aged sixty-eight, died after being attacked by two dogs in a family home. Um, confirmed as they newly banned breed, for example, um, the Exa Bully, the first death this year, and numbers small. Twenty and in twenty twenty-one, four deaths. And 2022, 10 deaths, but worrying problems, especially as children dying. For, for example, you know, just this, a, um, they were 10 years old when they were killed by a dog called Beast in, you know, Carrefour in 2023. And Bella Ray Birch, only 17 months old, killed in her own home uh, um, um, in 2022. Number of people admitted to hospitals uh, in, in, in to hospital with dog bites doubled in the last five years, wow. and you know the UK is a dog uh, dog loving nation, and ten million dog owners in the UK, and a dog is known as man's best friend. So why are dogs turning on people? Huh? That's, that's a quite um, raising question here. Yeah. You know, if anyone wants to answer this, they can obviously call us on 0208 So the question is, why are dogs turning on people? Is banning them the answer? 
Um, could the answer lie in the owners or even the breeders? So anyone wants, anyone is welcome to answer these questions yeah. um, on today's live show at 0286877878 or DM us or uh, it's, write, it's, it's write us to at Voice of Islam UK. It's very worrying, you know. Um, when you think, you see, um, dog owners, people would love to have a a pet. Yes. And uh, you know, I have so many friends and so many people who don't have a dog, but they're actually planning to have a dog. But you know, dogs again, they are. Um, you know, we cannot read or hear what they feel and what their thoughts are yes. before they attack, right? Or before any sort of disease which is emitted from them, right? So we can and always owners wouldn't know 100% if the dog is safe or not so it's very worrying because so many as, as you said 10 million people 10 million uh, people uh, in the UK have dogs but yes. then I think it's very very important for us to know what the dangers are of having a dog and this is why we're discussing obviously um, the Holy Quran in chapter 5 first 5 God Almighty states, say all good things have been made lawful for you and what you have taught the beasts and the birds or prey to catch for you, training them for hunting and teaching them of what Allah has taught you. And clearly from this um, verse, we can learn that it is permissible to have dogs, but where can we keep them? Um, how should we keep them? Yes. Um, what are the things what are the boundaries um, can we bring the dogs in front of the infants of in front of babies can we leave the dogs um, anywhere actually um, can we trust the dogs and, and and you mentioned it before as well that yes dogs are you know man's best friend and that is actually true um, but we cannot always, you know, trust. And obviously, we don't trust humans. The humans are the least trust, <laughs> you know, um, uh, creatures on earth. Mm-hmm. But then, if we can't trust humans, how can we trust dogs? Of course, isn't it? So that's why we are discussing about this. That dogs, um, especially dogs, because that's the most kept um, um, animal yes. as a pet. And we should be uh, vigilant. We should be uh, careful because uh, a lot of deaths happen because of dogs. Of course. That's why we have with us, um, Zakaria, our first guest for this hour, Colleen Lynn, um, a founder and president of Dog Bites. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the show. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you so much for joining us on such a important topic. So, um, Colleen, if you could tell us what made you um, set up, you know, um, a dogspite.org. I was attacked um, while I was jogging in my neighborhood in Seattle back in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a typical, uh, now that I've been doing this for 17 years, it was a very normal type of pit bull attack. Um, he jumped on my chest, knocked me back on my back, and then latched on to the first thing he could, which was my forearm, because that was, I put that in front of my face. Of course. 
so that was awful. And uh, I got back from the hospital a couple of days later and I started looking online um, for more information about this. And what I found instead was a lot of propaganda. You know, the pit bulls are nanny dogs and strange things like this. So I wanted to build a resource that talked about dangerous dog breeds, uh, talked about uh, laws in the U.S. and different cities that had different types of laws to mm -hmm. prevent these types of serious attacks. And so that's basically uh, creating a resource for people is what we did, what I did. So, Colleen, um, one thing um, which always comes up is, you know, how big of a concern are dangerous drugs, especially in America? Well, they are a big concern. Mm -hmm. And I think what also happened in your country uh, during COVID, our fatal attacks doubled. Mm -hmm. We still don't have, so we're up to 100 a year here. Wow. Um, we don't have all the data yet. So, because the government data lags about a year. Uh, so we're still looking at the uh, COVID numbers. But overall, from a societal standpoint, there's a growing tolerance of vicious dogs in America. Yeah. Uh, so dogs that bite multiple times. 20 years ago, owners would put, would humanely euthanize those dogs. Mm -hmm. That's not being done today. Interesting. Now, as an example, it's sort of interesting that this just came up, but, you know, our president finally banished this dog from the White House after 24 bites. Wow. So, so it, it's just a reflection of where we are in the U.S. about tolerance for vicious dogs. And, and the thing is, the, big, the biggest predictor for a vicious bite is having a vicious bite before. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're sort of having these, I don't know if it's happening in the UK, but we've been gripped and we've gripped Canada with this concept of no kill. And what that means is do not, you know, uh, humanely euthanize dogs with behavior problems. So we're dealing with more and more dangerous dogs are in our neighborhoods today because owners will not put them down. Shelters will not put them down. So, so it's a growing problem. Yes. So uh, <laughs> yeah. the one question I have is, uh, our, our, our legal system might be different from um, yours than, than ours. Yeah. What can, for example, a uh, when you were, for example, you went for on a jog and a dog attacked, and what can a person do in America to safeguard themselves from such attacks at that very moment? There's not very much you can do. I mean, you know, I was inside of a city, so, you know, we don't, we, we hear about people carrying weapons, true, true enough. Um, but if you're, the, if you're the one being attacked, you're probably not going to have a chance to grab that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's more that a police officer happens to be standing right there if you get that lucky, right? So that's why some cities pass these breed specific laws to prevent first attacks, right? Um, so that they don't happen in the first place because they know they're going to be really damaging. Hmm. Uh, so it is, you know, depending upon where you are in the U in the U S you have more options, say in the country where there's, there's less regulation of weapons than say inside of a city. Right. 
Hmm. But yeah, you're really at their mercy. <laughs> hmm. um, very concerning. Um, I think your your uh, your tagline says some dogs don't let go. So just to yeah. for my uh, knowledge, uh, for everyone's knowledge, mm-hmm. actually, um, can you tell us which breeds which behave like this? Yeah. Right. So there's these logs have existed about sixty countries, um, and forty nine of those countries, like in your in the UK, it's a national level law, mm-hmm. and they restrict and ban fighting breeds. So. It is due to the nature of how fighting breeds attack, and I'll explain that in a second. Mm. But it's basically the the American pit bull terrier, the Dogo Argentino, uh, Presa Canario, maybe one other. So all of these countries agree mm-hmm. that these very tiny number of fighting breeds should be regulated. Mm-hmm. And so you know, this is it doesn't matter what country they, we all feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's the hold and shake bite style of the pit bull terrier uh, that um, it's hold and shake, regrip, hold and shake, regrip over and over again into a sustained 10 minute, 15 minute mauling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they did in the fighting, that they were selected for that for the fighting pit. Mm. Um, the other factor with this breed is that they don't stop once they start an attack. So it it often requires lethal intervention. Hmm. So, and this is, again, all goes to the selection for fighting to the death in a dog pit, right? Hmm. And it's because of this bite style, this manner of attack, uh, why they show up so disproportionately uh, in failed dog mollies all over the world. Hmm. So the selection produced really did produce a fighting breed and their bite style is not really taught to them. Um, they all have, they're born with it. They are born with the bite style, just like how herding dogs are born to herd retrieving dogs. Uh, you don't have to re- you know, teach a retriever how to retrieve. Mm-hmm. You don't have to teach a pit bull. It's bite style. Hmm. They have it naturally. They, yes, they do, and they um, they get better at it too. Mm-hmm. Just like any retriever or any border collie that, for the first time, is tracking, you know, trying to herd, um, you know, a sheep. So every time a pit bull attacks, it fights. It gets better at that job, and you will see so many videos with these dogs attacking, wagging their tails. I mean, they are engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that is part of what they were selected for. It's sad. Mm. But it is a reality, and that's also why they're so controversial and why so many countries regulate them. Yeah. For um, what educational resources do you provide? Like you said, you actually started this after you have been attacked. Uh, to reduce the number of dog bites? Well, DogsBite.org is is a library uh, sort of about damaging dog attacks and dangerous dog breeds. So we have, you know, we're a resource for media members, uh, victims, personal injury attorneys, lawmakers, a lot of animal control officers spend quite a bit of time at the site. 
it's that it's all compiled together. You can go to one place and look at laws. You can look at medical studies. You can look at attacks. And if you're a parent, you know, many, most, I think over 50% of uh, dog bites, and that includes severe dog bites, happen inside the owner's home. That's a very so, interesting point because... Y- yes. The, 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 sorry to cut you off, actually. Um, because no, no. Uh, the, the one thing that we as Muslims are being um, advised is there is nothing wrong with having dogs, but do not have them at home. There are many reasons. Mm. There's many reasons. And the, the, the point that you mentioned, and I've understood it now more in, in detail, mm-hmm. why? Thank you for the point. Please carry on. Sorry, so I cut I, you off. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Just that, because um, we we're sort of talking about educational resources we provide, mm-hmm. we would like dog owners to make decisions about taking home safer dog breeds. Yeah. Right? Because it's their family that's really at risk. Yes. So if you want a small toy breed, okay. Do you want a pit bull? who has a history that you don't know because you adopted it from a shelter. Now that is a high risk activity right there. That's a risk. Um, So in some ways we just educate people to make different decisions about choosing dog breeds to bring into their home. Yeah. So know your dog uh, before you bring them home actually. Um, No. Yeah. Know the history of the dog. Know the history of the the dog. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. 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 Which you, you often can't when you get from a shelter. They don't know. They picked it up as a stray. Yeah. So that's really high risk. You know, there's all this propaganda. It's all how you raise them. And but yet they want us to come down to a shelter and adopt out a dog. And mm. no one knows the history, except that we know that dog is unwanted. Mm. That's why it ended up at the shelter. Mm. So, I mean, you really take on some high risk endeavors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually uh, it's, a large dog. It, it's better to have them <laughs> in a shelter than you know just leave them outside because it could hurt someone, right? So, <laughs> uh, I mean, the people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Colleen, for uh, your uh, for being with us and answering our questions. Uh, thank you for your time. You're welcome. So good to talk to you. Thank you. Same ways. Okay. Bye. Have a good have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye bye. So this was Colleen Lin, uh, Lin um, founder and president of Dogbite. You know, Zakaria, it's um, I I understand why um, this foundation um, came into existence um, due to um, having a personal connection to it. Yeah. Right. Um, and she was attacked while um, on a, on a jog by a dog at that time. Yeah. And just to raise awareness, just give the education out there to the members. Uh, it, 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 it's a public service, in my opinion. Yeah. Understand what. Um, kind of attacks um, you have to look out for especially hmm. and so one thing is always um, a question which comes up is how did we um, turn um, you know these um, um, animals um, their animals to become you know a a home um, a a member of some for oh. some for some for some people who say yeah. he's a member of of of, of a home now mm-hmm. so, so you know there was an article um, by the Guardian um, written a couple of years ago and it was Madonna Ferguson and she wrote about you know how the Victorians turned mere beasts 
So I was, I was I was not trying to use this word myself, but um, um, in in this article, it's used. In it's the article, been used. Not yours. How okay. how the Victorians turned mere beasts into men's best friend, and then you know, they talked about especially the Victorian time. Mm-hmm. That was the time, you know, when when this all happened. When uh, Victorians were more um, interested in a home or a do- domestic life, yep. a, a a bringing up the children and seeing um, as a very important for creating the kind right kind of you know morality in the society and in the mid 19th century onwards suggested that children should keep pets to improve themselves and and their moral qualities and queen victoria um with her pet named sharp um they have a picture which was taken in 1867 so that was a and there was another um, area which was about the status symbol so this is the, this is a very early um, early time um, when this was starting to happen, before that, what used to be happening, they used they were used what the Holy Quran has mentioned. They were used for hunting, yep. right? And and here is even the working class, poor working class families, written in this article, would capture wild birds like blackbirds, right, and uh, linnets or um, other kinds of animals um, to keep as pets. Pets, sorry, often hanging the cages outside the windows and feeding them scraps, while um, aspirational middle-class families would buy more expensive pets, such as pedigree dogs, to signal their higher wealth and status. You know, and when I was looking into this, and I found out, you know, there was a kennel club mm-hmm. which was founded at that time um, in 1873. Yeah. So in that Victorian times, and this club, you know. Um, is mentioned that you know, it's a um, recognized body and um, official um, official uh, recognized body in the United Kingdom. Yeah. It is the oldest recognized kennel club in the world. Its role is to oversee various canine activities, including dog shows, dog agility, and working trials. So this was, you know, it was quite interesting when I read about this. And there's a lot more uh, in this article. Uh, more information has been given, you know. But this is how the existence of you know of this 10 million people we have in, in the UK today who have who are dog owners. Yeah. This was the early stage how it came into existence. Mm-hmm. So that's why you know taking um, this conversation further, we have with us you know um, um, a emeritus professor in the uh, in the centre of the history of science. Technology and Medicine at the University of Manchester and he's an author of The Invention of the Modern Dog and it is Professor Michael um, with this I would like to welcome him to the show Asalaamu Alaikum Peace be upon you How are you Professor? I'm fine thank you Good evening It's, it's nice to be here Yes thank you so much for joining us today Professor you know I wanted to ask you in regards to the book you have written um, you um, co-wrote The Invention of the Modern Dog and you, you explore um, the dog breeds in Victorian times. How did they change dogs? Well, after, after the Victorians, dogs were no longer just dogs. They were this breed or that breed. Uh, curs, street dogs, mongrels um, gradually disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a mongrel today. All m- m- mongrels now are crossbreeds or designer crossbreeds. And the key difference was that before the Victorian era, dogs were bred and kept for their function, either work, companionship, sport, and how they behaved um, was, was all important. Mm-hmm. After the Victorians, it's all about 
their, their form. It's a switch from function to form. It's how they look. It's their shape, their colour, their coat. Yes. And the Victorians concentrated on that, and, and, and behaviour became relatively um, unimportant. They didn't select the behaviour. They selected how a dog looked. Yes. And, Professor, you have mentioned... Um crossbreed or designer breed if you can elaborate on that term well one of the what, what what the victorians did was they 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 made let, let me take that away before the victorian period dogs mm-hmm. were like the color of a rainbow there were distinct colors but they merged into one another at the margin after the victorians dogs were like the colors on a paint card where you go and buy where you go and buy paint there there, there are separate colors and there, and there are lots of them and so at the beginning of the victorian period there were about 30 or 40 types of dog now there are two now there are over 200 so what they've done is they have created more and more breeds and these breeds are if, if you if you continue the color analogy mm-hmm. um they're like palette and, and you can mix breeds and so and so you can um, if you want a dog that's, um, that, that doesn't shed its coat, you can mix a Labrador with a Poodle. Mm-hmm. A Poodle doesn't shed its coat, and then, and then you get the dog which is a Labradoodle. So that's, that, that's, that, that's a crossbreed. Yes. And, you know, uh, Professor, is it safe, first of all, for these animals to be crossbred like this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in fact, the Victorians were practiced crossbreeds a lot because if... What they did in order to to make the breeds stay the same, they inbred a lot. So they bred from um, they bred mothers and sons, sons and grandmothers, sons and great grandmothers. They bred cousins mm-hmm. um, because they wanted to they wanted to keep the same look. Um, and over time, this meant that if there were any genetic defects, these showed more and more. And so when that happened, they crossbred, and they had this idea that if you crossbred you brought vitality back to the breed. Of course. And, you know, um, one question always comes up is, um, how did competitions especially um, fuel the dog breeding industry in the 19th century? And we know about the Kennel um, Club, which was established at that at time or that era. So how did this um, fuel into this um, breeding competition? Well, there were there were two types of dog shows. The, the earliest ones were in the uh, back rooms of pubs, Mm-hmm. Um, and they were an alternative to dog fighting or dogs catching rats. And the, um, the the working class, largely men who kept these dogs, also had what they called beauty contests, where where is how they looked. But in the Victorian era, dog shows became really big social events. Um, royalty went, the prime ministers went, um, all the leading figures of the day um, went, went went to dog shows. Um, and what, how it changed is, is that it was rather like cricket and football. That um, if you're going to if you're going to have national competitions, yes. um, you want the same size goals all over the country. And if you can have international competition, so what they were finding was that a dog would win a show, say in Newcastle one week, mm-hmm. and came come last um, in London the second the following week. And so what they agreed was they agreed that there would have to be a standard. There would have to be a standard for how a Labrador, say, um, should actually look. Um, and, and, and they set these standards. And over time, each breed came to look more and more alike. So that if you look at the final 
um, rounds of breed competitions across, mm -hmm. so if you're on, on the telly at the moment, but there's this circle of dogs, and they all look the same. Yes. Um, one of the things about dog breeds is kind of uniformity, standardization. Mm -hmm. um, the one question uh, that uh, you know someone asked is: um, Is it safe to uh, you know crossbreeding? Is it is it a a safe thing to do? Um, well, yes. In what, one of the things that one of the things about dogs is that what humans have done to dogs, they haven't done to any other species. Mm -hmm. There is no other species where you get a dog as small as a chihuahua, which can weigh one to two kilograms, and a mastiff that can weigh nearly a hundred kilograms. Mm -hmm. We haven't done that to horses. We haven't done that to um, to cattle. Um, we haven't done that to badgerigars. Um, and of course, one one of the issues about crossbreeding is you have to have dogs of roughly the same size, mm -hmm. or if the female's smaller, then you have to deliver the puppies by cesarean section. So, so apart from the physical side, no, I mean they they're all dogs; they're all the same species. You can cross a chihuahua, which weighs two pounds, with a mastiff that weighs nearly a hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. Genetically, they are very, 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 very similar. Hmm. Um, my next question is that uh, in what ways did the the social class of breeders uh, affect the ways uh, classification of dogs became more uh, conformist? Uh, con con uh, conformist. Well, the really big dog shows were upper and middle class events, and they they were. There was a differentiation between the landed classes who entered their sporting dogs, the dogs that they used on their estates for hunting foxes and for catching birds um, that, that, that they'd shot another, another game um, that, that, that they'd chased. Um, but the, the, the middle classes tended to have um, more showy types of dogs, um, and dogs became status symbols. Mm -hmm. um, they became worth a lot of money, um, and so there was a there was a trade in dogs, and and, and some of the, and, and there was competition. Um, I mean, very wealthy people, um, like um, like 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 the bankers in the city of London, they would spend thousands of pounds buying a dog, which in modern money would be a million pounds, mm -hmm. um, and and they had kennels uh, which were centrally heated. Um, they fed their dogs luxury diets, um, but at the, but in, in 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 the back rooms of pubs, um, the, the working class men who had, who had their um, fighting dogs um, and, and, and dogs that caught rats, um, they were considered a, they, they they were lower class and their and, and their dogs were considered lower class. Um, and the other side is that there were also ladies' dogs, but it wasn't just class; it was it, it, it was also by gender. Um, by gender as well, and there was just and there was also there was also a fashion for imported dogs, mm -hmm. so dogs from China, um, dogs from um, South Asia, dogs from Africa, dogs from um, Central Asia, all came in and 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 and, and they were fashionable um, as well at different times. So, um, 
what types of dogs were uh, you know were actually from Europe or from the UK because obviously these dogs uh they came from around the world um so just i'm i'm just curious that um yeah. from which countries that they start bringing dogs yeah first uh, the most famous dog from abroad was the pekingese which um of course came from um came from china um mm-hmm. there was the dalmatian that came from um central europe there were a whole series of dogs from from france and germany mm-hmm. uh, um the german shepherd dog there were huskies from um from norway and there were um newfoundland dogs came from came from canada um there were strange dogs from central america there was there was a strange dog that was known as the nude dog because it didn't have any hair mm-hmm. um that, 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 that was a fancy import so um and there were dogs from um from southern africa um as well so it was a it it, it was a it, it became an international trade mm-hmm. um and and to what degree can we hold uh, the victorians responsible for the attitude of uh, snobbery towards uh, pedigree versus mongrel dogs amongst uh, the modern dog owners oh oh um there are great continuities between you know that the, 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 there is a hi- the, there was a hierarchy of dogs then and there's a hierarchy hi- hierarchy of dogs now but one of the differences between now and then as i said earlier is is that then there were only about 30 breeds and about half of those were sporting dogs now there are 200 now there are over 200 breeds recognized by the british kennel club and internationally there is in there is an international dog organization and they recognize over 400 breeds so wow. it, there are so many breeds that it class it, it divides in, in all sorts of ways by, by by class but also by but also by gender um as, as well so i, I think it's it, it's hard to talk any 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 longer about simply in terms of class there's a the, 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 there are different um groups that 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 go with different breeds. Wonderful. Thank you very much Professor Michael for uh, answering our questions. We've definitely learned so much from you um about dogs uh, and especially about uh, how uh, you know people started to breed uh, from the time of the Victorian time. Thank you very much for your time and answering our questions. Okay. Very nice to speak to you. Thank you. Very nice to speak to you. Too. Peace be upon you. So this was uh, Professor Michael Warboys um who is a emeritus professor in the Center of the History of Science, Technology and Medicine at the University of Manchester. Uh, also also a author of The Invention of the Modern Dog. A very interesting um yes. uh, discussion definitely and, and a new point that I actually learned that it all started from the Victorian time. only 14 as of, as far as i remember 14 it, it was it report. was a small number and now we have 200 and 200. internationally we have recognized about 400 types wow i so, mean it's it's interesting that you don't see any dog uh in the, <laughs> like like we have foxes outside yes. right any dog in 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 the mm-hmm. forest <laughs> you know running around because all the dogs pretty much all you know 
types of dogs are kept at home or as pets. Um, interesting. It's before it was uh, as a service dog or some, some kind of um, of work um, related, mm-hmm. uh, be it for example hunting. Um, security and so on and so forth and yeah. now after the Victorian time from from, sorry, from the Victorian times yeah. it has become a home pet yeah. which we, which is kept at home mm. and you know if you look um the legal aspect um of um all of this um legally dogs must not be out of control in public or private places you know penalties include being banned from owning a dog fine, imprisoned even from six months to 14 years and dog being destroyed and so that the dog will be laid down. Uh, Since um, 1st of February, XL bullies have also been added to a list of banned dogs, mainly as as fighting dogs. A number of banned breeds now uh, are five, Um, but um, those banning a breed, um, a the question always is still there that you know does banning breeds you know actually even work you know, studies in Canada Spain and in the US suggest it does um, if you look at different um, areas in the United States 52 pit bulls attacks from four years before banning in 2004 but only 13 attacks attacks in 10 years after 1997 to two um, oh, sorry after um, after the attack, after the ban of 2004, and then from 1997 to 2008, in Catalonia, Spain, study found hospitalizations because of dog bites fell. And while here in the UK, opinion is more divided. Bully Watch, a charity set up to monitor bully attacks, say bully breeds inflict the most damage because they tear at flesh and bone. They want a temporary ban on the Excel bully until more research has been conducted. So this is uh, small um, 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 breeds, which, uh, which sorry, these are uh, breeds which have been banned in in, in 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 a small number at the moment. But they they show a study. Yes, it declines over time. To take this um, conversation even further, we have with us, you know, Daniel Mills. Um, Professor Veterinary Medicine at the University of Lincoln. I would like to welcome him to the show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you. How are you, Professor? Thank you. Uh, good evening. It's a pleasure to chat to you this evening. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, uh, Professor, you recently conducted a study um, comparing, the, comparing the aggression of banned and non-banned breeds. Could you tell us um, what your main findings were? Yeah, we looked at a, a range of breeds of dogs um, which are banned in at least one country and then a comparison group of uh, breeds of dogs that weren't mm-hmm. banned. And we used a number of sort of um, instruments to assess different traits in them. Mm-hmm. So impulsivity, so the, the dog acting without uh, sort of giving warning and that sort of thing. Um, and then sensitivity to uh, rewards and also their sensitivities to unpleasant things um, because often people talk about dogs biting out of fear or, uh, you know, um, in order to control a resource. And these are sort of well-established instruments. And basically we found no real difference between the two groups at that level. There are clearly differences between breeds, but what the results suggest actually is that the breeds that are banned tend to be somewhat arbitrary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's whatever sort of hits the headlines, I think, is, uh, yes. is is what the governments tend to act on. Of course. And one question always says, if any dog, for example, um, uh, can be dangerous, what can trigger that as, um, ag- aggression in, in them? And especially what can owners do about when that ag- aggression triggers in them? So I think one of the issues here is, is actually the term aggression. Mm-hmm. Because aggression means different things to different people. For some people, it's a bite. For some people, it's a growl. Um, And other people, it might just be a hard stare. So we can look at sort of, yeah, what underpins bites and things like that. And perhaps, you know, there's important emotions to consider. So an animal might bite out of predatory behavior. Uh, It might bite because it's scared and it might bite because it's frustrated. They're probably three of the most common uh, emotions underpinning some of the problem behavior that is seen. And you could factor into that that also dogs that have been trained to attack, um, you know, protection dogs, that sort of thing as well. Yes, and you know, Professor, how strong is um, the correlation, you know, between um, the violent and antisocial owners and you know violent dogs because it is it is linked sometimes to this kind of category yeah i mean we if you look at the literature there is some evidence of an association but we don't, really don't know about the uh the strength of the relationship uh, of the correlation mm-hmm. um you know people who are brought up in violent families are much more likely to be violent themselves and so there is that cultural influence and that tolerance but equally, I, I don't think there's any doubt that you know some people, and it, it is a small minority. And I, I think it's important to put this in context. You know, bites are relatively uncommon, mm-hmm. um, and to recognise that a growl is actually a dog's way of saying "please back off." If a dog is snapping and lunging, then that's a less polite way of saying "back off." But actually, growls are, are useful things. They're dogs making quite clear that I, you know, I'm uncomfortable yes. of, with what is going on. And also, Professor, do you, for example, dogs mimic what their owner's behaviour is normally? Um, you get, uh, you can get sort of what we call emotional contagion. So, if if dogs are put into certain situations, they will pick up on the emotions of the situation. Um, it's not uncommon, for example, if a uh, a couple are arguing, then the dog might intervene, partly because of the stress of the situation. So the dog is, can detect that something isn't right. Mm-hmm. And it looks to try and resolve the dispute because here, here is my group that I live with and we should all be getting on. And it's not uncommon in some situations that a dog might then attack one of the, or bite one of the owners. And all he's trying to do is trying to sort out the dispute. Often what dogs do after a bite in that situation is they'll go up and they'll show what we call post-conflict reconciliation behavior. That, that if you like, sort of the human equivalent would be saying sorry. You know, they're not, they're not thinking about it that way through. But from a biological point of view, we know that animals that show these behaviors, what happens is it keeps the group together. So what they're saying is, I bit you, but I don't want, I don't want to eject you from my group. Yes. Um... For those who um, are thinking to get a dog, um, and I know many people who actually um, are planning to get a dog, what would your advice be for them um, to reduce any sort of violent, uh, any sort of attacks 
so that they know from advance that look these are the things that could happen yeah. you should be aware of these things so be careful okay. yeah and as you said uh, any dog can bite uh, accidents happen you know and many injuries are that they're just accidents but there are things that you can do you know dogs can bring enormous benefit to our lives um, they can bring a range of health benefits. They encourage people to get out and about and exercise, but also emotionally they can be very powerful. But it depends on the dog being well-behaved and not causing stress, because if a dog is aggressive, that is very stressful and uh, it's more likely to cause mental health problems than to solve it. Um, so the sorts of things, yeah, I mean, to do are make sure your dog is well socialized. Uh, that you're getting a puppy make sure it's out and about it's meeting people in well-structured controlled ways mm-hmm. um, I would suggest you don't play rough and tumble type games okay. <laughs> with your dog because that easily you know that can spill over yeah. um, and you know the, the general sort of expression let sleeping dogs lie applies you know if your dog is at home and he is uh, sleeping he should be left alone and I think it's important that every dog is given a safe haven in the home, which is a place they can retreat to and basically say, you know what, I just want a bit of my own space. It's, it's important to everybody that they've got some sense of control. And with those sorts of just simple measures like that, um, the vast, vast majority of dogs will uh, turn out absolutely fine. I mean, in our behavior clinic, though, we do see a lot of dogs who become irritable because they're in discomfort. There's a lot of inbreeding in dogs, and that can result in, you know, musculoskeletal problems which are uncomfortable, and that can exacerbate issues. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you happen to come across a dog in the park or somewhere on the street, uh, um, you know, who seems to be getting agitated, uh, what should you do? Um, there's a few do's and don'ts. It's probably easier to say the don'ts first. Yeah. <laughs> Don't panic is the mm. first thing. Yeah, okay. Stay calm. Um, don't approach the dog. Don't make or hold eye contact. That can be intimidating to a dog mm-hmm. and can make matters. So uh, say stay calm. Don't shout or scream at the dog or anyone. You know, Don't shout at the owner saying, get your dog under control or that sort of thing because you're actually, from the dog's point of view, you're just escalating the situation. Mm. I'd also say don't run away because actually the act of running away could encourage the dog to pursue you, especially if it's a dog off lead. Mm -hmm. So what you should do is keep a distance. As soon as you're aware of the situation, I would suggest you stop, you stay calm. And in some cases, just stopping and slowly turning your head away, but keeping aware of where the dog is can diffuse the situation. And then you can just quietly walk away. If you walk away, just make sure you gradually increase the increase the distance don't just turn your back on the dog mm-hmm. um, if you're going forwards then it's better to sort of curve round and keep that distance away from the dog slightly increasing it mm-hmm. so you don't walk past the animal but keep at least or increase the distance slightly as you if you need to go sort of where the dog is in in the way in effect make sure you keep a good distance um, away from the dog um, and then you can carry on your way if you feel you need to back off, then don't turn your back. Just walk backwards slowly. Uh, slow movements are important. Sudden movements are much more likely to provoke a mm. dog. And, you know, if you're close to a tree or something like that, you can stand with your back to the tree to just make sure that if the dog comes at you, you don't fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and or you know if you've got a bag or something like that you can just again calmly put it in front of you so you can use it as a shield or something like that should mm-hmm. the dog uh, launch uh, launch itself at you and you know the vast majority of encounters just remember said just a simple growl does not mean the dog is nasty it's just the dog saying uh could you just back off please you mm-hmm. know and i think too many people think of growls as being something nasty when actually it's the dog sort of being quite clear um often dogs will show a lot of other signs before they do that sort of thing um but not to panic to stay calm mm. wonderful tips thank you very much uh for answering our questions and especially to uh, from my side this was my last question actually to tip it off with uh, some sort of um you know very useful tips for those who are not familiar to dogs thank you very much for your time uh daniel and uh, and and coming on with uh, voice of islam nazo take care take care so this was professor daniel mills a um professor of veterinary medicine at the university of lincoln you know we have spoken like yeah quite a few things um negative aspects positive aspects you know yeah. i always you know will uh, we we should always try and you know shed, a, shed some light on the positive aspects also uh, in further detail for example uh, what islam says about the treatment for for uh, animals yeah. and you know the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him said you know whoever is kind to the creation creatures of god he um he is kind um to himself yeah and likewise you know there was a narration that a um the prophet um, mentioned this that you know a prostitute was forgiven by allah the almighty because passing by a panting dog near a well and seeing that the dog was about to die of thirst she took off her shoe and trying um, trying it with her head cover she drew out some water for it so allah forgave her because of that so you know just because of helping out an animal in need in that in that case a dog who was in need of water mm-hmm. um allah might forgive all, all her sins yeah and there's another um, similar situation you know the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessing will allah be upon him mentioned that a man was walking on a road when he became very thirsty he found a well and descended into and drank of its water upon leaving it he saw a dog which was um, again you know panting because of thirst and his tongue was um, hanging out and he was eating moist earth from the extreme thirst so the the, the earth around it which was, which was a bit moist he was licking that earth to you know to hydrate himself yeah and the man thought to himself this dog is extremely thirsty as i was so he descended into the well filled his shoes with water and holding it in his mouth climbed up and quenched the thirst of this dog so you remember he climbed down put put um, water in his shoes he put that um, shoe in his mouth to climb up again because he he was unable to hold it with his hand due to climbing up from the wall so the effort he went through and the uh, and the sacrifice he made for that very dog and hence what allah the almighty did for him was you know allah appreciated allah the almighty appreciated him so much you know this activity which he did um he forgave him because of that mm-hmm. so you know, these uh, when we hear these stories you know helping out and um, create um, the creatures of allah the creation of allah uh it, you, we, we might not know that it could be a small thing could be a big thing and 
Allah the Almighty will forgive our sins mm-hmm. due to because the act which we did. Yeah. And in that case, for example, the man or that woman, um, whatever sins they had, yeah, right, the Allah the Almighty forgave it there and then because of um, giving water to a thirsty dog. Yeah, I mean every, actually any uh, good deed of any person actually like you mentioned um, you know even if that certain person is a sinner in uh, in the eyes of believers but that person does something good for yes. the humanity or for uh, to 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 the creation of God almighty like dogs Allah could forgive you all your sins actually so this is such a beautiful thing for those and and for us to learn as well of that course. You know, don't consider any good deed to be less. Yes. Every good deed, uh, you know, will, you know, be beneficial for you. Yes. You know, Islam doesn't say uh, um, we, uh, there's nothing to do. We shouldn't keep animals, right? Yeah. We, sh- we should um, ban animals. We, the Islam doesn't say that. Islam uh-huh. says use them in, in, in the way they have been used. Yeah. That, the way they should be used. Yeah. And, for example, one of them is um, in the Holy Quran, it's mentioned for hunting, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, one way is uh, when you so you, you train the dog so well that you know his teeth doesn't go inside yeah. wh- whatever he's bringing back but he brings it back and th- that is permissible to eat yeah. because they've been trained for hunting mm-hmm. and you have them for security you have them for other works which, yeah which, I mean they they give you comfort as well right of course so you know they certainly give you comfort and especially like you said for hunting for security reasons as well Back in the time, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon him, and the companions, you know, companions could not sleep because they had to guard the place because they were constantly on under attack, especially at times when they were sleeping. But mm-hmm. um, if they had dogs, they would definitely, you know, use them in order to guard themselves. And this is also a sort of comfort. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of people, they are lonely as well. Right, and if there is no one to take care of you, um, at least a dog is something that could, you know, give you comfort as well. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, there's so much. So, 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 so dogs or animals, they can give you comfort, so certainly. But obviously, you should be careful, of all course. the time, vigilant. That look, you know, there could be dangers to it as well, and that's why we are talking about that. Look, yes. be aware that certain certain dogs and they could also bite yes. so be careful know the signs and sometimes you know i've seen videos as well that these are the signs uh when just before you know when they behave like this they most likely would attack you yes you know this is um quite I'm just looking at the time at the time. I'm very, very... Yeah, but time flies time by. Time flies. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much more to talk about. But just, just a couple of things about, you know, dog owners could do, for example, when they buy a dog, they should buy from a, a, ret- a rep- reputable um, breeder and consider w- what the mother was like, mm-hmm. what her nature or the temper was, right? Introduce your dog to new experience gently, not just put them into it. Okay, this is it. Now you have to do that. Yeah. And train them re- really, really good. Mm-hmm. That might, you know, um, reduce the um, um, negative aspect of that also, which yeah. is the attacks and stuff. Mm-hmm. That you should train them quite well. That should help out. And also, you know, these are just a couple of things and our esteemed you know guest 
just uh, mention the details and the, how it came into existence. Um, the, the house owning dog, uh, um, dogs, yeah. for example, and the reasons behind it also. So I'm always thankful to them also, um, in regards to that. And I'm looking at the time. So Zakaria, first of all, Zakla for um, joining uh, myself today on Wet Voice of Islam, our tech team Likewise. and our producers Hani Mubarak, Noor Mubarak and Nabila Shah for, for producing today's shows. And it's always a pleasure meeting you, Zakaria. And I hope that our Likewise. listeners have gained some insight and knowledge about the two very topics about eating disorder and in the second hour we spoke about you know um um, um the, the attacks uh, about the breeds of dogs yeah and um, definitely i've learned a lot and the listener has learned a lot and i would like to thank everyone for listening 